Welcome to the Faith and Grief Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and grief. I'm your host, Shelley Craig, Program Director here at Faith and Grief. We hope the conversations and interviews you hear offer you some comfort and hope on your grief journey. Faith and Grief is a nonprofit that provides grief support programs online and partners with local organizations to offer our programs for their community. We offer monthly drop-in grief support gatherings, grief workshops, and getaway weekend retreats. Find out more about all our programs and this podcast at faithandgrief.org. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Clarissa. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Clarissa Mall. She's an author and speaker, and her latest book, uh, Beyond the Darkness, is really a guide for living with grief and moving forward in your grief. I'm excited to talk a little bit about how we can um, promote uh, grief acceptance and move kind of away from a death-denying culture, Um, but also how in faith communities we can embrace and support those who are grieving. Welcome, Clarissa, to the podcast. See if you can hear me now. Yes, I can hear you now. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Fantastic. Uh, We're always, uh, the studio that I'm recording in now, uh, we have, uh, it's a new studio, and I was one of the first people they've done Zoom podcasts with, Mm. and Mm -hmm. uh, so every week we have to reconfigure (laughs) the studio. (laughs) Um, They do mostly uh, music recording. Okay. And so uh, Al comes in, and our engineer, and reorganizes everything. And um, last week, everybody could hear each other, but we couldn't see each other. And I was like, it's okay. I don't need to be seen. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there is a level of comfort when you're talking to someone to be able to see them and, and so forth. So sure. Uh, yes. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm really excited about talking about your book and just your experience as a griever and also just uh, so many points in your book really stuck with me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I want to kind of get to those. But um, I always ask this before I get started, just because it's where we are in the world. And how are you today, really? <laughs> I'm actually doing really well. Oh, good. Yes. good. Yeah. Yeah. I Friday afternoons are um, a really peaceful time in our family as we just sort of slow down from the week's busyness and head into the weekend. So yeah, I'm doing really well. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. I know Fridays have changed. There used to be like this anticipation of Friday being like exciting. Mm-hmm. And now I I am much more passionate about being easy and quiet. Yes and cozy. (laughs) Um, So that's good that that's left. Um, Yeah. Well, let's dive into it. Uh, Okay. I'm going to, I'm already recording here. So that way I don't miss anything and kind of get this. Um, So I originally saw some of your content um, on social media and was familiar with your husband, Rob's book. Um, And then when I saw more of the really the sharing of your grief story and the education that you were sharing with people. Um, And then this book, Beyond the Darkness, uh, came out. I was like, you know, it'd be great to have her perspective and what her story um, 
really encourages people around their grief. Um, I found a lot of encouraging words here. So, um, so tell me kind of where you were early in your grief and when you decided I need to write about this. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Uh, so my husband, Rob died in 2019 in a hiking accident in the middle of our family vacation. And Rob was a writer and I had worked in communication. So we were people of words that sure. we had made our livelihood uh, through words. I had spent much time editing his work. He would edit mine. We would partner together to write. And so for me, writing was kind of a natural move for me as a way of processing my loss. Um, not long after Rob died, I began writing to a group of friends and family who had been supporting us in prayer and materially supporting us, you know, something that a lot of families do through sure. Caring Bridge or, or just right, through right. email exchanges. And uh, over time, friends and family started writing back. They would reply and say, hey, do you mind if I forward this on to a friend? Uh, I have a friend at church who is grieving a loss of a child or a parent, and I think that this would encourage them. And so it really began as kind of uh, not only my own personal processing of my loss, but also this very organic conversation that I began to have with family and friends about what it looked like to grieve. I was sort of a unicorn uh, as a young widow. Sure. Not many people knew another young woman who had uh, lost her husband in such a sudden way and was now parenting alone. So I think there was a bit of curiosity there to, hey, what is it actually like for a young woman to grieve and have to live at the same time, you know, mm. your children draw you forward. And so over time, this conversation that began between family and friends and me uh, grew into a blog, and then it grew into writing the afterword for my husband's uh, re-released book, The Art of Dying. Mm -hmm. And then it grew into my own book, Beyond the Darkness. Well, um, I have the book here and I'm bang banging my microphone with it. Um, I always uh, read through everything and then uh, I always have to make myself notes. Uh, and there were so many of them, um, I, it kind of got comical. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to ask Clarissa, what from the book have you felt or, or received the most either questions about or sort of, uh, so, you know, hey, this has really been supportive? Because there's so many uh, wonderful uh, anecdotes and morsels. Uh, it, what what have what sort of stood out to you that maybe even surprised you that people connected with? Yeah, well, there are two things that really stand out to me as I've had conversations with folks over the last year since the book's release, and then over the last four and a half years. Um, the honesty in the book about the physical elements of grief, I think, right. is one that really stands out to me. You know, uh, we think of grief as an emotional condition. Right. Uh, we think of sadness and perhaps frustration or anger if the relationship was complicated. But we don't think or talk a lot about the physiological manifestations mm -hmm. of grief, the ways that uh, it affects our sleep, it affects our diet, 
it affects our energy level, our uh, our sexual, you know, intimacy, uh, desires for intimacy over time. Uh, all of these things are a normal and natural part of the grieving process, but it's something that we just, we don't talk a lot about, particularly, I think, in Christian circles. Um, we yeah. want to believe that God is taking care of all of those things and that he's carrying us through, and he certainly is. But the manifestations in our bodies of brokenness are real and and they're worth discussing. Yeah, I think stood so out to me uh, has been also um, the conversation. What if people have struggled to go back to church after they've lost a loved one, and um, and that's just a, another thing that we tend to not talk about. We want to believe in the victory we have in Jesus and the resurrection power. Mm -hmm. And those things are true. Uh, they are the bedrock of our faith. They're what pull sure. us forward. And yet um, it's complicated to live in a broken world and trust Jesus through your valley of the shadow. And uh, I think those two elements have really resonated with readers over time. Yeah, I know that that's part of... Um in the grief support work that we do, uh, we talk specifically about those two things often, sort of the physical manifestation of your grief. So many times we are not prepared for that. We're not prepared for grief in general. And, That's right. You know, like there's no, and we just did a, a round table around anticipatory grief. And, you know, in that case, people are in the midst of caring for someone who's dying, they start to maybe grieve before the person dies because of changes in their uh, mental state or f uh, physicality. And so they kind of feel like they're prepping for grief. But then when the actual death occurs, it's still a shock. It's still, it's grief still comes. It just yes. comes in a different shape or form. But so many times we don't identify where grief can sit in our bodies until we notice the lower back pain or we're constantly getting uh, sick, you know, with an mm -hmm. a cold or infection. Um, and it's so true. And then even as people of faith uh, who, you know, can sort of reconcile some of that pain with their own faith journey, there is a, it, to I think you uh, named it, it's neurophysical and biological all at the mm -hmm. same time there's not one facet of grief it is sort of all encompassing which is also really weird yes yeah that it's you, a holistic experience it, it is a holistic experience and that to me speaks to the spirituality of grief mm -hmm. because it is not just a physical thing or a or a emotional mental state it is all those things that make us human. And uh, it's amazing. I, I noticed, uh, speaking of sort of talking about those things, especially in circles of faith, um, we want to, uh, or we've, we've been told that maybe, and someone shared this with us, that let's just put that on hold. God will take care of that. Mm -hmm. But as we know as grievers, there is a process to this whole thing. And that means God will be with us as we process. It doesn't mean there's an absence or that he's going to take all of it away. Um, and I think sometimes we struggle that with that as uh, folks who identify with a particular faith tradition, Christian or otherwise, um, 
because we've given we've been given lots of scripture and and text to say that and that's a struggle i think for a lot of people how do i do how do i reconcile those things yeah i agree and and it's novel in some ways to say god is interested in your lack of appetite yeah. Uh, God is interested in your irritable bowel syndrome yeah, in your sleepless you. nights. You know, um, God is interested in all of those things, and uh, that can be a revelation for people. Yeah. Well, because those things seem negative. Mm-hmm. They seem like this is the stuff I'm supposed to hide. This is the stuff I'm not supposed to talk about. Um, and in that, we know from our work that one of the healing tools that we have as we grieve is to talk about our experience mm-hmm. and what what's happening to us on all levels. Um, but we also haven't had a lot of education or training in our culture. I think early in the book, you talk about how Rob talked about in his book about a sort of the, the arm extension to death that we've created, sort of a death denying culture of no one's going to die because we're going to live a million years. And we don't need to talk about that right now because that's an end, a scary place, and let's just pretend like it's not happening. Um, We also don't see death very much, Mm -hmm. except now on social media. We see it, unfortunately, all the time. Um, And so it's, it's a really peculiar time to grieve, I think. Yeah, certainly. And the dimension of social media has really changed how we grieve. Um, The influx of information desensitizes us to the particularities of loss. Um, We see things and we can scroll up and we can turn off our phones. And so a lot of the the reality of loss is compartmentalized and it is um, filtered through those pixels as we connect with it. And so we're inundated with death related to war or disease, and we realize we are just flooded and we need to shut it off. But uh, we also miss out on the opportunity to connect with those who are closest to us when uh, we develop this um, allergy, as it were, to the hard things. And I think social media and just the the constant on, onslaught of information can do that to us. Uh, it's why I always recommend folks uh, who are grieving to take a break from social media yeah. and your phones. Uh, it can be a great place for online support. Sure. And certainly that is a wonderful opportunity for connection, uh, but there's got to be a balance there because you can uh, step into the grief echo chamber too, and yes. it can become its own downward spiral. You can become overwhelmed by news online. Uh, it can be a really scary place. It is the Wild West. Uh, and so moving into that space with care and intention is really uh, the best way to navigate the online spaces as a griever. And um, it never hurts to just shut it off and always make a priority to connect with real people in your life for uh, support and encouragement. Well, speaking of creating other spaces for grief, um, one chapter about bringing grief into church I really uh, resonated with that because so many times I think many of us are, have been unequipped uh, from our faith communities on how to uh, support others in grief, how to grieve ourselves. Um, 
I've always said it's sort of strange that for the Christian faith, for a faith based on death and resurrection, um, we're really good about talking about the resurrection part, but we're not so good about talking about Friday and Saturday. <laughs> like we're not so good about the middle part, the, the super sad, the super awful part, because we want to focus on the hope, which is great, which is wonderful. Um, thank goodness we have that. At the same time, we sometimes sort of want to ignore the other part or get through it quick. I said, as I think someone told me, they, they said, why aren't you, why aren't you, like it's been six months, mm-hmm. you know, um, and the wonderful kind things. What do you think, how can we support grievers in faith communities um, as an individual, but also maybe like as a community of believers? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I love it when churches and faith communities ask that question, because even that question on its own just hearkens to a reality that they're willing to finally admit that there are those among us who are wounded. Uh, We like to think of the church as a place of celebration, but it's also a hospital too. And uh, wounded people are drawn to messages of hope, but they're also drawn to messages of uh, of fragility and vulnerability. And when those messages are ones that we share regularly in church through lament, uh, through prayer, through uh, the broken praise of folks who are journeying together, uh, that kind of honest uh, care is something that really draws grieving people and supports them. I have often been told by folks, um, they'll say to me, you know, I, I don't want to mention your husband's name because I don't want to make you more sad. Right. And that kind of avoidance is something that we often see in church. Um, we don't want to talk about the hard things because it might hurt more. But the converse is actually true, that when we're willing to talk about those hard things, when we're willing to engage with them, honestly, uh, it actually creates a place of hope. So uh, being committed to folks in your congregation, in your faith community for the long haul is a big part of that. It's understanding those many different dimensions of grief, the physical, the emotional, the relational dimensions that last far longer than a meal train will last. Uh, They last long past that first anniversary or the funeral or memorial service. And um, being willing to step with folks into those dark and vulnerable places that actually creates a community where people can link arms and hope together. Yeah. And it also, I think so many times, uh, I don't know if redefine is the right word, but realign what the church is there for. Um, Cause sometimes we lose sight of that a little bit. Um, I think we all do. We get wrapped up in the social media and the other stuff um, and the, it needs to get done stuff and maybe not the let's take care of, each other. And yeah. it's it's yeah. no it's no one's particular fault. It's what's comfortable, it's what can be less difficult. And as we know, so many times when other people say things that aren't supportive or or aren't don't show up the way we want them to, many times it has not a lot to do with us as the griever. So many times mm-hmm. it has to do with them being able to acknowledge and and uh you know deal with their own pain. It brings up their own stuff. Um, and sometimes we have to just get used to kind of putting our stuff down for a minute and focusing on others. 
and ser- serving in a way. Well, you mentioned early on um, about being a young widow and parenting after Rob's death. What were some of the things that were supportive for you early on? What continues to be supportive? Um, and how have you and your kids sort of uh, grown through this process? And I know those are three really big questions that probably take way yeah. too long to talk about. But yeah, yeah. Well, the um, the things that have always been the most supportive and continue to be are those folks who are invested in relationship. Mm. Uh, when you lose a parent, you lose all the dimensions of that person in your life. Uh, you lose the carpool partner, the person who picked you up from basketball practice. You lose the homework helper. You lose the hugger. You lose the disciplinarian. (laughs) There are so many different dimensions to losing a parent when you're a child. And um, I often say it takes 10 men to take one man's place. And I've appreciated the army of supporters who have gathered around us for uh, almost five years now to not replace, but to step into that gap and give us the kind of material support that we really needed to thrive again. Uh, It's everything from people who have attended basketball games for my children and soccer games to folks who volunteered to take them to youth group or uh, just to hang out. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it is awkward and sometimes it takes a lot of uh, patience, but uh, but it is the most worthwhile task that you will ever do uh, to be able to walk with someone who is grieving. When I think about how we've grown together, um, I think our commitment to one another began long before my husband ever died. Um, We shaped our family in such a way that uh, connections within our family were a priority. We made sure to have dinners together. We made sure to support each other by attending each other's ballet recitals and 4-H competitions. And those very ordinary and regular rhythms were the things that pulled us through that crisis period at the beginning after our loss Mm. and have created a foundation for us to live again. Now, you know, if you're a person and you hear that and you say, well, we didn't do any of those things before my person died. Where do I, where do I even start? Um, <clears throat> you know, there, there are easy ways to begin those kind of healthy relationship building rhythms. Uh, even now, the wonderful thing about grief, and it's, a, it's a, um, a glimmer of light in the darkness, is that it does reshape our priorities. So sometimes for the first time, Grief opens our eyes to see, oh, wow, the way I've scheduled my time, it doesn't uh, schedule it with life, real life in view. Okay, I'm, I'm going to make some different uh, adjustments to my calendar, to the relationships that I keep, to the ways that I distribute my time across a week. Um, grief is a wonderful opportunity to do some of that uh, life-changing foundational work that can lead to your flourishing in the immediate and in the long-term future. And it's also really hard. (laughs) It is. Yes. And it is hard work. And you've got to take a lot of uh, deep breaths. You've got to lie down a lot. (laughs) You need to uh, know when to lean in and when to let go. But I trust that all of us have that wisdom. You know, when we're able to divorce ourselves a little bit from cultural expectations, when we're able to look honestly in the mirror at ourselves and release ourselves from our own expectations, I think sometimes that's the hardest part. Oh, absolutely. uh, Then 
we can offer ourselves the grace that we need to do this at our own pace. It's not a race to the finish line. Uh, there's no competition with anyone else in your life. You can do it uh, your own way and at your own pace. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that because it's, I think that is so important for people to hear who are grieving because there are our own self expectations of what this is supposed to look like wherever we may have got those from Um, and sometimes it's the old wounds that we've already experienced that help shape that Um, and at the same time you know we we hear from other people we see from other people from the media wherever it is you know how do I do this what do I I must be doing it wrong especially when we're we're kind of experiencing the pain of grief because we can we can work with that. I think God can work with that. Um, I don't think God really wants us to suffer, but he can be there with us in the suffering. Um, Because we know he suffered. We know he understands that part of it. And he didn't, like, ignore that. And so I think that speaks to us, you know, spending some time and not ignoring our own pain. Um, sitting with it. What was those, you know, because the book is beyond the darkness, obviously there was some dark stuff that you had to sit with. What was that experience like? Because I think it, it is, it speaks to, we don't know the darkness until we can't know the light till we know the darkness kind of thing. Um, But sometimes we can get stuck there. Yeah, I think about a trip that my family took when I was a little girl to caves in in Kentucky. And uh, we went down into the cave and the tour guide said, okay, we're going to turn off the lights here for just a moment because I want you to see what it feels like to be in utter darkness. We're deep beneath the ground and I've got my feet planted firmly, but how disorienting that was when the lights went out and you literally couldn't see the hand in front of your face. It was terrifying. You could hear the sounds around you. You knew other people were there, but you couldn't see them and you couldn't see where the sounds were coming from. It was really scary. And I think about grief in that way at the very beginning and for the months that follow for many folks, uh, the disorientation of the light going out in their life is uh, is really dramatic and it's traumatic for many people. Uh, relationships that they thought that were secure, they can't see those anymore. Sometimes the people thought they thought who would support them are uh, just non-existent. I know for myself in that darkness of grief, loneliness was a big part of that. Mm. I was uh, a mom and I was a wife, but now I was left to figure out what life and my future would look like without the person I had planned to spend it with. And that loneliness was deep. It was a deep ache for me. I was also a a wife who had experienced a sudden and traumatic loss. And so all of the questions that came around that kind of death were significant for me. Um, I hadn't gotten to say goodbye. I hadn't gotten to see my husband's body again. Uh, There were many things that that created a sense of deep darkness. And, um, And I acknowledge that that darkness can last a while. Uh, and it often lasts longer than those around us wish it would. Right. And I think that's not because they want to hurry us along, because they uh, want to be insensitive. I think 
they notice that we're hurting and they care. And it's hard for us to receive sometimes uh, because we feel hurried along. But I do sense that when those around us see our darkness, it scares them and they want to save us. They want to fix it. And I appreciate that impulse uh, because it is those loving and supportive people that yes. can partner with us, that have the capacity to step into that darkness with us and wait and watch uh, and walk with us to to light again. Thank you. I think that that resonates will resonate with so many people. You in writing the book and now you get you've had a year or so to talk about Rob and your experience and what this grief journey has looked like on this side where you are today. What are some of the lessons or some of the things that you've heard from your own experience, but also from others that um, have really provided you with some comfort? in this process? I think it's a comfort that it won't always be like this. Mm. It's kind of scary sometimes uh, because when you've lost someone that you love, we often grasp for control. And so our grief even becomes a comfort to us. Uh, yeah. It becomes a stabilizing place for us. And so we worry, you know, what will it feel like when I laugh again? I, will I be um, will I be dishonoring my loved one's memory if I step into new life? And our grief becomes this secure place for us. And so to hear it won't always be like this is both a comfort because uh, we don't want to feel this terrible for always, and yet it's scary too. But what I'm finding is that um, I appreciate that on the hardest days, it won't always be like this. And on the very best days, um, it won't be like this always either. And it tempers the um, the wild enthusiasm that I can have sometimes for life. But I've found that sometimes that's okay. Grief has broken me open and it has given me new eyes to see other people who are hurting in my life. And so I don't walk around with the same uh, kind of um, unbridled optimism that I used to, it's more realistic now. And that tempering has also been a comfort because now I realize that I can go through hard stuff. Yeah, I can experience the joy in life and uh, I can be present with people that I love in any way that they need me to be because I understand that um, life isn't either or. I'm not either happy or I'm sad. Right. It's somehow carrying the joys of life and its brokenness in the same hand. Yeah. It's sort of the both and of life. That's right. Um, which takes a while to reconcile. Like it takes a little while to figure out how do I do both of those things or, or in the case of grief, all 37 of those things That's at the right. same time. Because uh, grief, I wish it was just both and. That would be really easy and comfortable. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, so tell me, a little bit about Rob. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to hear that question, especially, you know, as the years go by. Um, Rob was a, an amazing man. He was a great dad. He was attentive and affectionate. Um, he loved to wrestle with the kids on the floor <laughs> and coach their little league teams. He was the loudest cheerer at all of the uh, school events. He was a faithful husband. He worked hard for our family. He was committed to his relationship with me. And he was a great writer. Um, 
I am. I feel like it's a particular gift to have uh, so many words of his left behind, mm. and um, it it doesn't rebuild him for me. It doesn't recreate him, but it does. It is a testimony to his life, uh, to the things he valued, and uh, it's a way of keeping him alive in my memory and for those who um, for those who loved him, and also for those who had never gotten the chance to meet him. And how, how did, what uh, rituals or traditions are you uh, sort of crafting or creating with your kids to keep him as part of their life? Because that's the one thing with grief uh, we don't necessarily expect is the lifelongness of it. Mm-hmm. Like it will be carried, even if we move into new relationships or new areas of our careers and lives, that grief comes with us. Um, and sometimes we, we, it's so important for us to think of ways to carry that with us um, in a comforting, supportive way. So what are some of the things that y'all are doing, if you don't mind sharing some sure. with us? Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, uh, it won't always be this way. And I think that that it continues to be a comfort for me because the ways that we remember Rob change from time to time and in different seasons. At the beginning, it was very much about uh, creating spaces in our home where we could remember him, making uh-huh. sure that there were pictures that were always present, uh, having items of his that were set out so that we could connect those to memories. Uh That was a big part of remembrance for us, Uh, remembering his birthday in a special way by making a dessert he loved or remembering our anniversary. But over time, we have found that our needs have shifted. And so now in this season, remembering him and honoring his memory looks a lot more like conversation. Yeah. It re- It is, um, hey, you remember how dad used to do this? Or uh, I remember that, you know, Rob was always so good at fill in the blank. And so um, I appreciate the the way that it is different all the time for us, um, that This day is not like yesterday, and it won't be like tomorrow, but the thread that runs consistently through is that uh, Rob Rob was beloved by our family and our community, that we love him still, and that we're committed to remembering him in whatever way that season finds to be appropriate. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, because we talk a lot. uh, One of our projects that we have every year is a memorial arch that we offer for our community here in North Texas, but really anybody in the country can go to our website. And we add ribbons to the arch over the traditional holiday season, a place for people to sort of stop, remember loved ones, write them a message, write them their name. Because as you mentioned, you know, uh, sometimes people don't want to talk about the loved one because they think it will be painful for you or it will bring up more than maybe they're ready to talk about themselves. It could be any of those things. But we really feel it's important. And uh, sometimes people feel like they have to do the same thing all the time. Like we, have, right. <laughs> we, always, have, we always have to have the green bean casserole because dad loved it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But s- sometimes those traditions, those ways to remember them will change, evolve. And that's okay. Um, that's right. It doesn't have to be stagnant. But at the same time, if it needs to be static, that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe for a little while you 
tie that ribbon up there and then you go for a number of years without doing it. And then maybe there's a life uh, change that happens. You have a child who graduates from college or you um, experience the birth of your first grandchild. And then you're drawn back and you say, you know what, I've got to, I want to put that ribbon back up there again. And it's been decades since your loss. And that's the beauty of, you know, it won't always be this way that you can live with grief as a companion, that it can shift and grow and mature with you as you grow after your loss. And uh, it can take the shape that you need it to for that particular season of your life. Yeah. And you speak to that um, as well in the book about uh, being able to recognize how resilient we are. Um, And we don't know that sometimes until we've gone through or experienced great loss. Um, And that can be also unnerving. Um, At the same time, also, that's the crazy thing about grief is there's like so many things that happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's not one thing. And I I always joke in our workshops and stuff, I was like, if if it if it was easy and simple, I could just give you a book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you could read it and everything would be okay. Um but I don't know if we want it to be okay. I am I am glad that in some ways I'm I'm at a, a place in my grief journey that I'm glad I've had this time, that I have developed resilience that I didn't expect out of my situation. And uh, it sounds like to me, and from reading the book, the same has sort of followed a similar path for you. Yes. Yeah. In fact, I think that a lot of people think of resilience as strength. Yes. Like, I'm stronger now than I was before. And uh, certainly in some places of my life, I have experienced a growth in strength. Yeah. Um, I've developed independence where I didn't have it before. Right. I have developed courage in ways that I didn't before. Right. But I think resilience is far more than just getting stronger, uh, toughing, learning to tough things out. In some ways, resilience to me has looked like becoming more vulnerable, yeah. being more honest about my weaknesses. Uh, creating space for my fear <laughs> that <laughs> Thank even you. that even that is resilience and uh so when we talk about that growth i think when we say it's startling I think you're right, uh, because growth happens in so many different ways in our lives. Uh, we become more compassionate and we say, oh, wow, where where was that in me before? <laughs> uh, we, we launch out and try something new and we say, oh, where was that in me? I didn't know that I was willing to risk in that way. Right. Uh, so there, there are just so many dimensions of what growth after loss can look like. And it is startling to us. But the amazing thing is that, you know, we, I, I live among orchards here in New England. Um, my children and I love going to apple pick in the fall. And I'm always amazed to see the new growth on trees. Uh, the new gr- growth on a tree is always bright green, yeah. where the rest of the tree has kind of dulled a little bit. And it looks startling. Well, that doesn't belong. You know, what is this here? But over time, that new growth gets integrated into the rest of the tree and it all becomes a similar color and it's all part of that same organism. And I think that's how growth happens in our own lives. It's startling at first. It doesn't look like it belongs. Uh, we may want to hack it off so everything still looks as uh, yes. as normal as it did before. Mm-hmm. And yet, given time, 
that growth will integrate into the rest of who we are naturally becoming over our lives. And uh, in an amazing way that I think we probably won't see until uh, until Jesus comes again, we are right. being integrated as a whole person. And um, the things that don't make sense to us now are helping us to become who God has intended us to be. Well, I think that is a wonderful place for us to end today. Thank you. Um, that image of the tree is, I just love that. It's so true. And sometimes, like you said, sometimes when that green new growth comes, we're like, oh, it doesn't match. Let's, let's right. get rid of that. Let's, you know, <laughs> let's cut that off. And so many times that could end up being the most beautiful part of the tree. Like we don't know that. Um, and I totally agree with what you said about resilience and vulnerability. There is, uh, it, it is so many times associated with strength. And, you know, we all say, oh, you need to be strong or, you know, you never know how strong you'll be till you're going through this kind of stuff. And it's okay to also notice the fear and the vulnerability in your grief and know that as you assimilate that, you know, whatever, however, whatever word you want to use, it can become growth. It can become part of who you are and head toward who you're supposed to be. That's right. Yeah. So thank you so much. Clarissa, thank you so much for writing the book and sharing a little bit about Rob and your family. Um, there's so many nuggets of wisdom in this book. Um, I highly recommend it. We would love to have it as our April book of the month for our book club. Um, so know that you'll see some uh, information around that uh, come April. Um, and this month of love, as it is, sometimes this, uh, I'm not a big Valentine's person. It's a made up holiday other than <laughs> if you want to go to the, you know, medieval uh, background of it. Um but for some people, this is a very tender time um, because they have associated their their relationship around it. Maybe it's attached to when they were engaged or maybe it was attached when they got married or whatever it may be. So one last nugget from uh, your experience. As you're yearning, as you're longing for this person, what did you learn from all of that? I'm reminded uh, that C.S. Lewis said that all of our longings and our yearnings are for a, a better world. Mm. They're for something beyond what we can see now. And uh, so I, I use, I try to, I, I'm not a pro, but I try to use those longings as an opportunity to prompt my heart mm. toward prayer, toward meditation, uh, toward a longing for the things that last forever. Yeah. Because uh, all of these human longings are like the hunger pains for yeah. oh, a yeah. hunger that is uh, to be satisfied by something much deeper. So that's um, that's what I've learned about love and and longing and and loss since my husband died. Yeah. Well, Clarissa, thank you again so much for sharing your story. Um, the book is so beautifully written and so tender in so many places, and I think so many people can get um, some comfort out of your words and your story. So thank you again so much for joining us on the podcast and continue good luck with the book. And thanks again. Thank you for having me. We hope this episode of the podcast offered you some comfort and hope. 
Would you like to support us? Go to faithandgrief.org give and offer a donation for our next episode and become a podcast producer. Thanks for joining us here on the Faith and Grief podcast. We make this possible. Thanks for joining us here on the Faith and Grief podcast. Your support makes this service available to all who are grieving. If you'd like to support the Faith and Grief podcast, go to faithandgrief.org give and offer a donation for our next episode.